Well, this is the second week of Easter. Christ is risen, and everything has changed, right? Yes and no. I, I see some maybe un- unease there. Some of us have experienced, I, I'm thinking of Steve, who we prayed for this morning, uh, although we might sing and, and recite, uh, Oh, death, where is your sting? There's still some sting, and uh, there's still brokenness in our bodies. There's still... Um, struggles that we have walked through the door with this morning, and I want to be very aware of that, not just as a point of of sensitivity, pastorally, spiritually, but also in looking at a passage like the one that we just read and other post-resurrection appearances of Jesus to his disciples, uh, that's actually the norm. That's actually the norm. Hurt, uh, uh, pain, confusion, uh, fear, uh, so many of you may have walked through the doors feeling that, confessing that Christ is indeed risen, but still feeling the, the sting of death or, or doubt. Or So uh, on this second Sunday of Easter, beginning this Easter season that we are, we are now walking our way through, I'd like to consider a few of the scenes in the Gospels that Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, that kind of recount those, those post-resurrection appearances. And since if you've been with us recently, I'm no longer able to preach without the use of visual art. I'm going to show uh, some images from one icon, a very busy, detailed icon, but just pick out a few of those. This icon uh, deals with the resurrection, specifically the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus to his disciples. So we'll look at a few of those, kind of zoom in on a, on a couple of those, including, um, well, you'll see. And kind of as our organizing framework, I'd like to take this prayer of St. Francis that we pray each week at our midweek prayer service, Um, but it goes like this, begins, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace, which is an appropriate way to begin a prayer given the recurrence of those words as you heard this morning, Uh, peace, Jesus offering peace to his disciples as they're shut in the room. And John's telling, he says those words actually not once, but twice, and if you include both visits to his disciples in the locker room, it's three times in total. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. And where there's sadness, joy. You'll see three of those lines highlighted in that prayer. We'll look and take a, a specific look at those three, because I think those three are... Um, and, and probably maybe all of those lines in one form or another are kind of specific responses that the disciples have. Uh, injury, <laughs> awareness of their hurt and the way that they have caused hurt, doubt, maybe obvious to you after our scripture reading, and despair. So we'll take these in order, even though we're kind of going out of order of the, the gospel text. So we'll begin in John chapter 21 with Peter's encounter with the resurrected Christ looking at this line, where there is injury, pardon. Where there's injury, may we offer pardon. Pick it up in John 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. 
They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it, heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked, love that little detail, and jumped into the sea. I want to take a look at the first uh, section of this very detailed icon. Again, this is just one part of this, this detailed icon. And this shows a scene that isn't actually described in the text, but there are many icons that kind of follow this pattern of depiction. Uh, Jesus waiting on the shore and extending a hand to Peter to draw him out of the water. And following a breakfast with his disciples that occurs immediately after this, John 21 kind of famously recounts an exchange between Jesus and Peter during which Jesus asks Peter three different times, do you love me? John 21, 17, we see Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt, the gospel writer tells us, because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Peter is hurt. There's injury. The background for this exchange is, of course, Peter's three denials of Jesus prior to his crucifixion. And when Peter meets the resurrected Jesus in this scene, there is injury from that denial, those series of denials. And Peter feels this hurt deeply. Jesus, however, offers pardon. And Adam, if you would throw that picture back up on the screen there. When I look at this icon, I see the hand that Jesus offers to Peter as kind of an illustration of that pardon that Jesus offers to him later in the chapter. And perhaps, perhaps you have come in this morning experiencing some kind of injury of, or hurt of one sort or another and are in need of this kind of saving action today, this hand extended to you. And you can find pardon in the same way Peter does in the form of Jesus' hand extended to you. Where there's injury, pardon. Second, where there's doubt, faith. Where there's doubt, faith. Here we return to the gospel text for this morning. The disciples have locked themselves away in fear and Jesus comes, again, offering peace, verse 24 of John 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands, in, in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I think there's a way of seeing this response by Thomas as doubt and incredulity, but there's perhaps another way of, of seeing this, which is kind of below the surface of Thomas's words, and that's a kind of desperation. I mean, imagine if you had been the one to walk out of the locked doors at the very moment that Jesus appeared and you weren't present. Don't you think you'd feel kind of the same desperation to witness him, perhaps even to, to touch him, as Thomas expresses here? 
When Thomas says, unless I see his hands and place my finger into the mark of the nails, I think he's saying essentially, the current has pulled me under. I'm drowning, and the only thing that can pull me up is the hand of the one who's been injured for me, who's suffered, who's been wounded in the way that Jesus has. And perhaps not unlike Peter in the image we looked at a moment ago, Thomas is in need of Jesus' hand extended to him to pull him up from the midst of his doubt, his need. In verses 26 and 27, we read, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So if you are here in church this morning, you are actually beating the disciples. They stayed in that locked room for another week (laughs) after Jesus' initial appearance to them in that room. Isn't that something? They stayed put. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Jesus, you can almost see him offering his hand. See my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. I'd like to take a look at another section of this icon. This icon is so busy that there is actually a depiction of Thomas and Jesus Thomas placing his hand into Jesus' side, but it's, it's too small to even display here because there's so much going on. But this portion of the, the icon is uh, one that we've looked at before. It's the icon of the resurrection. So the resurrected Christ standing on the doors of death, which have been broken down. And we see to his right there a character. That's actually Adam. So this... Adam is being pulled up. You can almost see, maybe you can see there, that Jesus has Adam, has a hold of Adam by the wrist. So it's not just that Adam is reaching up and pulling himself out, but that Jesus, I think this is significant, has him by the wrist and is pulling him up out of death. And this is, of course, to symbolize the way that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has defeated death and pulls all of sinful humanity up out of the depths of death. But the way that this icon, I I can't help but see, especially in light of our gospel text for this morning, uh, to kind of overlay the the picture of Thomas seeing and touching Jesus' hand. The way that Adam here appears to be, although he's being pulled up, appears to be fixated on Jesus' hands. Adam here could just as easily perhaps be Thomas as he leans in for a closer look at the nail marks in Jesus' hands. And again, we might find ourselves in the same place. We need a hand offered to us, not only a hand that we might see or touch, but a hand that might pull us up and rescue us from drowning and whatever doubts threaten to swallow us up. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. And finally, where there is despair, hope. Where there is despair, hope. So we'll take a look here at Luke chapter 24. And whenever I am speaking, I not only show art, but I also have to refer to uh, the Emmaus Road uh, passage. So it's, it's just kind of, it's what you get, I guess. Now on that same day, the day of uh, Jesus' resurrection, 
Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while, you're walk, while you walk along? And here again, we have sadness. They stood still looking sad. Jesus has been raised, and, and yet... There's hurt, there's sadness, pain, fear. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? And the discussion that follows in this passage is indeed remarkable, but we'll skip down to verse 28, which reads, As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So here is another icon depiction of this post-resurrection appearance. Jesus to these Emmaus Road disciples. In this depiction, again, a different scene from the same icon, Jesus can be seen extending the broken bread to his disciples. This scene captures the moment right before they recognize Jesus as the risen Lord. Not simply in the act of breaking and sharing bread, but I think it's that act combined with the disciples maybe even noticing the nail marks in Jesus' hands as he offers them the bread. The disciples recognize Jesus as the one whose body was broken, not simply because of the broken bread that he offers to them, but because of the wounded hands with which he breaks and offers it. There's a pastor in Michigan named Kenneth Tanner who says, I'm astounded by a God who has wounds to show us. All three of these post-resurrection depictions we've seen this morning show Jesus extending a hand to those to whom he's appearing. To Peter, he's extending a hand to help him out of the water. He's restoring a relationship that had been fractured by Peter's denial. Where there's injury, he's sowing pardon. To Thomas, he's extending a hand to show the marks where the nails were driven in. Where there's doubt, he's sowing faith. And to these Emmaus disciples, he's offering bread from a wounded hand. And in so doing, he's revealing his presence among them when they assumed he was absent. Where there's despair, he's offering hope. So as we close, I'd like to turn our attention to another of the prayers that we pray each week. So we've looked already at the prayer of St. Francis, but now look at the prayer to the crucified Christ. I think it's on the screen there, yeah. As you take a look at that prayer... One of the things I love most about this prayer is how sneaky it is. In the opening sentence, we address Jesus as the one who suffered with his arms outstretched. Then in the very next sentence, perhaps before we can even realize what it is we're asking, which is kind of the way with prayer, we pray that the one who suffered would give us his spirit that we might also suffer. I'm not sure I want to pray this. We're to reach forth our hands in love, but we're to do so in a very particular way. We're to do so in a way that costs us, that stretches us, in a way that's patterned after another who stretched out his arms to be crucified. 
and reaching forth our hands then, we imitate him. To offer ourselves for another is countercultural. When we do so in imitation of Jesus, it might not make sense to the watching world and perhaps shouldn't make sense to the watching world. However, and I think this is so important, it's precisely in those moments of offering ourselves on behalf of others that Christ in us becomes recognizable. Just as Jesus becomes recognizable when he offers the bread to his disciples and they see his wounds, he becomes recognizable in us each time we offer our lives to others in vulnerability. I want to close with, I already said I want to close, I'm going to close again. The spirit of a good Pentecostal preacher here. My second close with a picture that Olivia uh, did for us uh, that I commissioned, I guess. I don't know if you could say that, but I commissioned it. Very proud of this work of art. It's actually up in our lobby if you want to take a closer look after the, after the service. Uh, Olivia created this work of art at my request last year when I spoke on Jesus' post-resurrection appearance to the disciples in Luke's gospel. Olivia, thank you for your willingness. I don't know if you're still in here, but yeah, thanks. There's an inscription from Luke 24, 39. I don't know if you can see it. Uh, it is I myself, is what it says. Jesus said to his disciples, Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. And I'd like us to see this hand offering peace, not only as the hand of Jesus, but as our own hand. The inscription then makes, takes on this kind of deepened meaning, which is something like, each time we reach out our hands to offer peace in imitation of Jesus, it's as if he's saying all over again, it is I myself. Not only about his hands, but also about ours. In the same way, then, we are recognized as Jesus' disciples. In the moments when, with our vulnerability on full display, I don't think it's an accident here that there's no skin on this hand. <laughs> we reach forth our hands in love. And we, ourselves, can take part in a post-resurrection appearance of a different sort. Reaching forth our hands, hearing those words again, it is I myself. It's a tremendous responsibility. As we prepare to come to the table this morning, um, you'll hear the words spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. And I think if, if it might be appropriate, you can feel, the, feel free to take the elements on your own as we receive communion, but um, if you would, um, if you think it's appropriate in an attitude of prayer to exchange the elements with someone you're seated near, family member, uh, just as an act of extending your hand with the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and receiving it together. So as you come forward, we'll make two lines down here, down the, the center aisles. You can peel off to either side elements here at this table and at this one. You'll hear the words spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. 
you can return to your seats and uh, receive the elements on your own. All right, let's stand together as we pray. Prepare to approach the table. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are gathered here in hope and in thanksgiving and perhaps who are hurting or who are doubting or who are experiencing some measure of despair or sadness. May we hear you again offer your peace to us and extend your hand to us to pull us out of whatever waters we find ourselves drowning in today. And as we receive your hand and we clasp your wounded hand, would we go forth from here with the reminder that we also are to extend our hands to those in need. And in so doing, we are extending your hands. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray.